we're in Romans, <laughs> Romans. <laughs> I've been reading Romans, so yeah, I'm stuck at Romans on the brain. Uh, Hebrews <laughs> 13. So, one of the things that happens, I don't know if you guys pay attention to this, but I don't collaborate, and very seldom do I ever say anything to Kathy or to Chelsea or to uh, Bill uh, as far as picking out songs. I really trust that the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing, the Lord knows what he wants to communicate Sunday mornings, Wednesday night, anytime, and, and you probably notice this in your own Bible studies, those of you who teach. Well, you know, Kathy had no idea that, you know, tonight we're going to be talking about love. <laughs> I mean, right out of the gate here. And, and there's nothing, there's pro- this is probably the, my favorite subject. I mean, what's not to like about love? <laughs> you know? And um, so, you know, the first verse, let brotherly love continue. You know, I find it interesting here uh, that after all of Paul's teaching, I know, that's my bias. Sorry for all you scholars who think somebody else may have written this letter. Get over it. <laughs> that wasn't very loving. <laughs> I've, that after all the all this teaching and exhortation, and, and this message to the Hebrew Christians, he he ends with these several exhortations and little nuggets. There's like, there's hardly a paragraph here. There's like little, almost like Proverbs. You have just the, the one or two lines and it's just a, a, a con, uh, densed, distilled thought of a, and an exhortation to do this and to consider this. So, you know, there's really... You know, once you get into this, it's sort of like, where do I stop? <laughs> you know, he's going to stop with the benediction eventually, you know. But I just find this, and, and I wonder if there's not a connection between legalism and the absence of love. People who, who sort of, like in this case, they're turning back. They're, they're going back to the old system. They're going back to the temple and, and, and laying hands on the, on the, on the head of the animals and, and slicing the throat and catching the blood and going through the ritual. Let's go back. That's what they're doing. You know, when you live under the law, it's really hard to love people because they don't measure up. You know, the, what kind of what we t- hit on a little bit Sunday, you know, the, you know the, the speck and the beam. You know, you start living and measuring your relationship with God on your ability to be holy, your ability to perform. Your ability to always do the right thing and never mess up. That's a rough life to live. And because you're living in guilt, whether you know it or not, you're, it, it emanates. You could be, you, it doesn't take long to be around people. That you, wow, whoa, whoa. What's, what's that? Oh, well, I know what that is. Not a, it's not nice. You're judging me. I didn't do anything to you. What's this coming here? What is this? You know, it's just, and so he's let brotherly love continue. And one of the things that's unloving is you're judging people. Yeah, well, 
You know what I'm getting at here. It's, you know, the love grows cold when you begin to relate to God on the basis of performance. And so think about this as those of us who are spirit-filled, spirit-led, we're, what, is the, what is the Holy Spirit constantly challenging you and I to do? To love people. Like, I have to be really careful about, and I have to have measured amounts of exposure to what's going on in this world because I immediately get angry. And I want to, you know, I want to express the wrath of man so that I might work my righteousness. <laughs> Take them out, Lord. Let me help you out there. You know, kind of a thing. Like, you know, and as if I've never sinned and as if I wasn't exposed to the same temptations that they were exposed to and gave into and to become that tool of the enemy. I used to be that way. So, you know, there's no place for high, high holiness here. And, but as spirit-filled believers... Spirit-led believers, we are constantly being challenged to love. That's not loving. That was rude. That was wrong. What are you pushing yourself forward for? You know, all kinds of checks we get because that's what the Holy Spirit's job is. He convicts us of truth and right, righteousness and things like what isn't loving and what is loving. And so uh, love the brethren. You know, uh, most of us know these things, but it's good to be reminded of them. There are four words in the in the New Testament that are translated love. Um, we're probably familiar with this, but it goes, uh, should, should be visited every now and then. Uh, the first level is the lowest level, love on the physical level, eros. And uh, it's, a, you know, we get our word, English word erotic. And so we have a, sort of a sexual, physical love. And it's the lowest level of love. Um, and then storge, which is, uh, another word for love, and that's kind of the idea of um, family love, the kind uh, the, of love that we have between a parent and a child, let's say, and uh, or family members, siblings and all. It's it's love on an emotional level, but there's there's a bond there. You know, if you think about it, those of us who have siblings, there's nobody else in the whole world that has your relationship. You know, it's just your brother and your sister, same mom, same dad, and it's you. Nobody else has that. It's just unique. It, well, I'm just talking in, in that context. It, you know, it's, there's a, it, they've got a bond that you, that it, it's not like anything else. That's what the point I'm making. And, and so that's sort of that word there. Um, a or gay is, <clears throat> A means no. And so that's, uh, it translated into the English unloving, which is used in First Timothy. You know, you know, it's the negative, the opposite of that. Um, so this is where we get, if you're looking for that word, because we're not real familiar with that one per se. We've heard of arrow since Sorge sort of gets left out of the, the thing. But the highest level <clears throat> is love on the spiritual level. The, the love that God expresses towards you and me, and it's, as we know, is agape. And, and in, in between storge and agape is phileo, and that's really what is used here, brotherly love. You know, we have a city named, in America named this, you know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And this is a friendship level. This is kind of mostly expressed in the body of Christ. We 
we are to, when we find someone falling short, go beyond that level to the agape level. Because the, the agape is the strongest kind of love. God is agape. God is love. And um, he, it's a love that never changes regardless of what the other person may do. It doesn't alter that flow of love. God, you, you can never do something that would make God stop loving you. Isn't that amazing? Well, if God really loves people, then why, does, why do they go to hell? Oh, that's a good question. And it's really not a hard to answer. God still loves people that go to hell. He, never, he cannot stop loving. So what's the issue? They don't love God. And because they don't love God, they don't want anything to do with God. And so God obliges them, so to speak. They don't realize this as they're living this life, that by placing God and not wanting God in their life, God is going to answer their request by separating and putting them in a position where they're completely separate from Him for all eternity. That's what hell is. That's what lake of fire is. Those people, because they don't want God, they don't receive the forgiveness of God. They die in their sin. They die in their guilt, and they'll be forever in torment of that guilt. And so this cannot be laid at the feet of God. We have to be careful what we lay at the feet of Yahweh, right? Be really careful what we put there. But God is love. Self-giving. It gives without demanding. There's no, God isn't expecting us to pay him back. Isn't that amazing? We kind of like, feel like we should pay him back. You know, Paul said, I'm, I'm a, a, a drink offering poured out and, and a thank offering. You know, and I think that's the only way we could possibly even approach that subject of thanking God. Just give your life to him. You want to thank him? You really want to thank God? You want to really express your gratitude towards God? Then surrender completely and let him do whatever he f- deems best with, and his purpose is for your life. That's a pretty good place to start. It's amazing. God loves the unlovable. He's drawn to weakness. He's drawn to the unappealing. You know, we have this thing, generally speaking, if someone has a malady or they're crippled, and the natural thing is to like, like recoil, right? Like, you know, like, ooh, ooh. It's hard to look sometimes, right? I'm just, maybe you don't have that issue naturally. But I know how I overcome it. And I know that I can go up to a homeless person and though they may smell like there's, like it's something I don't want to smell, I can endure it. Jesus touched the lepers. He touched the, you think those guys were, smelled wonderful? We don't think about that. Well, he touched them. (laughs) He also smelled them. No doubt. How are you going to wash flesh that's, that as soon as you touch it, it falls off your body? I mean, see, Jesus, that kind of love, that's the kind of love that we get. What, you know, what manner of love, you know, First John, the Father's shown to us, what manner of love, it's foreign. It's like, it's not of this world. It's not erotic, it's not storge, it's not phileo. It's none of that. It's, it's, it's on a whole other level. 
good to be reminded of love, true love. And, and I just thank God that we sang about it tonight. <laughs> I just find that so such a blessing. I think the Lord's trying to remind us, like, let's get back to basics, right? Never forget what's the most important thing. Faith, hope, and love, and, and the greatest is love. And then he gives a list. You, know, you really love people? Love strangers. You think Jesus knew those lepers? Hey, let me introduce you. My name is Jesus. Never seen him before. They come out of, people coming out of the woodwork. People coming out of their homes, their caves. Because they've been hiding because they're diseased. They're demon-possessed. They got relatives. And these people are coming in hordes to witness the ministry of Jesus because he can help them. And you know what? We're his body now. We're supposed to be the ones that express that love and have that same authority and power to deal with what he dealt with. So if the hordes come, if the drug addicts come, if the homeless come, you got to love them. got to love them. God help us. It's not about feelings. It's about decision. It's what it is. It's not about feelings. It's about just saying, I will do this. And I will have grace. When you make the commitment to do that, you get the grace to do, carry it through. We had this lady a few months ago, a couple months ago. She was fully on, demon-possessed. We're standing here. A couple of us laid hands on her. Didn't hold her hand, our hands on her tight enough, I guess. <laughs> she fled from the church here. But these are the kind of people that, that, are, that need, desperately need the presence of God. They need the love of God. Isn't that what changed us? Isn't that what's transforming us even now? You know, think about this for a moment. These people were going back into that system. They were choosing to live under the law because they could measure their spirituality. They could measure their relationship with God. We are not called to measure that. It's immeasurable. God's love is immeasurable. God's grace is immeasurable. And you want to live under the law so you can measure your spirituality? <laughs> That's impossible. See, the body of Christ is divided because we're not... We have not learned agape. And that's kind of sad. We're harsh. We're unloving by nature. And only God can, only God can make us loving. That's just the way it is. We're to love strangers, as I said earlier. Entertain them. Give them hospi hospitality. Love indeed, not in word only. It doesn't mean when someone walks up to you at the gas station that you're, you are commanded to and in debt to fill their tank with gas. If you really love them, you'll fill them. No, that's, you don't, we don't have to, we're not, that's toxic charity, right? That's not really helping that person. They're just beggars or leeches and they're, they're lazy or they're this or they're that. There's a reason they're doing what they're doing and it's not because they've been living right probably. I can pretty much sure there's something going on there. So I'm going to help them along. Like, it's okay to go up and beg people for money. I'm not afraid, uh, opposed to giving people help. I probably cave in more than I should. But we have to be prayerful about it. My first reaction is, depends on what kind of mood I'm in. <laughs> 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 to be honest. <laughs> to, to be honest. 
If I'm in a bad mood, you don't bother. <laughs> right? But we're to love strangers. Hospitality and helping people is what we're about. We don't have to give them money, but we can give them food. We can give them something we know that they could use that's, that's going to help them. And then tell them about Jesus. And give them what? Give them some work, yeah. yeah. Just a love for strangers. But there's a lot of people that, that, you know, they'll become, they'll break out the Christian lingo and just start laying it on you and all that and just, you know, you just stop, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, here's the thing. We live in, so, you know, I don't want to limit this to the people that you meet at the Walmart <laughs> parking lot or the gas station. This is far different. They live in a different culture than we are. I mean, we, we're going 60 mile an hour or sometimes faster and we're only a few feet apart, or if we're beside someone, I mean, it's just unreal. In these, you know, steel cages going down the road, we don't talk to people anymore. Back then, you walked everywhere. Very few people had horses. Think about the culture that, you know, that these people lived in. You, you, you're just walking, and you're talking to people. You pass on the road, you say hi, you talk, you interact. But they're also... You know, because we know that Jesus sent the disciples out, right? They went from village to village. Well, there were these guys that, you know what? I can't really find a decent job. I think I'll just do this gospel thing. And so they had like a, <clears throat> the Didache, the, the teaching. It was kind of like what the disciples kind of put together. It's kind of like a little ministry manual, right? And it was written sometime between 90 and 110 A.D. And... It had um, this to say, how, would you, how do you tell who's a false prophet? It's interesting. Because that's really what false prophets do. They're, they're just leeching off the body of Christ. It's not about the gospel. It's about what I can get from the people. I can get my needs met through these people. And I can get my wants through these people type of thing. Sound familiar with what goes on today? So... So, something like this is what's written. Let every apostle that comes to you be received as of the Lord. But he shall not remain except one day, but if there be a need, also the next. But if he remains three days, he's a false prophet. When the apostle goes away, let him take nothing but bread. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. Every prophet that speaks in the Spirit, shall, you shall neither judge nor neither try nor judge. For every sin shall be forgiven, but this one sin shall not be forgiven. But not everyone that speaks in the Spirit is a prophet. But only if he holds the ways of the Lord. Therefore, from their ways shall the false prophet and the true prophet be known. That's from the Antonisan Fathers, Volume 7, on page 380, if you're looking that up. I find that interesting. You know, these guys, they, I mean... I'm not going to name names. You've probably been exposed to them, but they're on stage. They're playing all kinds of music. It's all drama. They're long hair, uh, emotional, dramatic. Hold on. I'm getting a download. 
You know, all kinds of just, are you kidding me? If what they say does not come to pass or it doesn't, is not true, they're a false prophet. I don't care how, if they were accurate about a couple things. They're a false prophet. And I, you know, I'm te- you know, we have this thing like we want to know the future. Trump's going to be back in office. I, the Lord has shown me Trump's going to be back in office. He's going to win this election. Now, how'd that roll out? How many guys did you hear saying this? They're false prophets. I don't care. About, I, well, you know, they had a couple things right. You know what happened? If you had one thing wrong in the Old Testament, rocks are coming towards you. That's a rock concert. That's what kind of concert's happening. So think about the example that Abraham set. If you want to be hospitable to strangers, hey, George, go get the lamb. Go get the, you know, get this, do this. He got up and he ran. He picked out the, and he had the guy help, help. But he's leading the show. Here's a, an older man. <laughs> oh, Abe's out there running down the food, man. Gonna, gonna entertain the Lord and two angels. And Sarah got involved too. There's something about hospitality that's so crucial and so needed in the body of Christ. It's a gift for some, that's for sure. But this is how we're to treat strangers. Now, we've been taken advantage of over the years. You know what? It's going to happen. But I'd rather fail on the side of mercy trying to help someone. And if they, they take advantage of it and they're, they're not what they say to be or pretend to be, you know what? That's on them. That's on them. So I lose some food. I lose some money. You know, God is kind and gracious, even to the ungodly. So I just, that's kind of how I see it. Think about this, you know, know, that's the strangers. Um, (laughs) Just for the record, just to keep us on track, he says, some people have entertained people that were actually angels, (laughs) right? Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unknowingly, unwittingly, entertained angels so what is it you get on the other side and you're happen to be this angel says you know that time i came up to your house (laughs) is that going to (laughs) happen you were kind of rude to me i don't think that's going to happen but you know what i'm saying there's a possibility there's there's a check right there this person that i don't know might just be a test God has the right to test our hearts. He tests us all the time. You know, that unlovable person that's coming towards you, where are you at? Where's my heart at? Where's my grace? Where's the grace that I need? It's always a test. You know, he moves on to verse 3. Remember prisoners, as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are all in the body also. It's very important. We have a pretty good handle from the prayers that I hear us pray regularly for VOM, Voice of the Martyrs, you know, that, that ministry. We think about people getting taken out, martyred for the Lord. You know, people in chains, pastors getting locked up for all kinds of stuff. And I think about J6 prisoners. That's the, you know what? We really need to continue to pray for them. It's like, it's like the American gulag. 
however you pronounce it, Gulag, however you want to say it. The idea is, as he says here, you're also in the body. Just put yourself in that position. What would you, if you had brothers and sisters that you know, Christians outside, because a lot of those people are Christians. They got caught in a trap. Ed, you want to know a little bit about that day? Talk to Ed. He, him and Leslie were there. Fortunately, God, they were there and could have gotten pulled right into that. Some of our brothers and sisters who were, huh? The names were changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> They're coming to get you. Look out. No. Say that again? Oh, in D.C. or? or yes, I don't know where. Oh, okay, okay. Yesterday morning or this morning, 6 a.m., full force. Oh, yeah. And they had been there. So they're still arrested. Don't stand on the internet. It's such hypocritical stuff going on. You know, they'll do that kind of stuff and then let, let the, you know, these, you know, BLM build, burn the, the city down. Yeah, and the other stuff, turn the other, but they'll intimidate and do all kinds of stuff. We got to, that's a lot to pray about. Most loving thing we can do for that is really pray the presence down. Lord, you take care of this because it's out of our hands. But the idea here is to put ourselves in their position. I would want someone, you know, when I'm sick and I'm feeling under the weather or, or things, you know, I've gone through something that's a harsh trial, what, you want people to pray for you. I mean, think about Paul, pray for us, pray for us. We, those, boy, don't forget these people. Like in that, if you were in prison there, they didn't have a, a, a TV and a nice bed and a pillow. And they, the, if they were going to eat above a minimum ration, it was because someone brought them food. I mean, whew, put yourself in their place is really what he's saying there. It's the least we can do, right? And then he goes on, you know, and this is love. This is, what, this is in the context of what real love is and expressed in these situations. Um, love and marriage. You know, is, it's still, an, believe it or not, it's still an honorable estate <laughs> of which we go into. Praise God. It's really only, you think about this. Where is it really held in esteem and honor today? Only by Christians, for the most part. Now there's, you know, there, it, it may be, you know, it may be an overstate, that may be an overstated thing, but you think about it, by and large, it's the Christian church, the true followers that have a high opinion and respect what God has put together, man, one man and one woman for one lifetime, an honorable state. And unfortunately, it's not being treated like that. It's, what, it's really the point I'm trying to make here. It's not redefined with partners of the same sex. I'm sorry, that's not a marriage. That's perversion, completely and utterly. That it's not marriage. It's not marriage. I don't care what you, law you put on the books. It's in God's eyes, that is not marriage. 
uh, the, but the marriage bed is undefiled. And that's a guilt-free intimacy with, between a man and his wife. All other things is full of guilt. And it's just guilt. They're in an undefiled bed. There's mutual agreement and intimacy. You don't violate each other's conscience in that arena. It's sensitive and it's loving. And it's others-centered. That's what the bed undefiled means. And, and God allows that variety, God allows that sexual expression only in the covenant of marriage. There should be that intimacy. Fornicators, as he says here, adulterers, you know what? God's going to take care of that. That's just the way it is. God will take care of it. What is fornication? Anything outside of marriage, and you can, and that goes across the board. That's why Sexual perversion of every kind is under the label of fornication, and God is going to judge that. He's going to do it. So, for the younger couples that are falling in love, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, <laughs> right? Just keep your hands off. You, just, you light the fire, it's pretty hard to put it out. No, you know, so making out, you're going you're gonna to violate your conscience at some point. So just don't go there. It's going to take you in the wrong direction. You're stealing what does not belong to you. That's what you have to... If you're not married, it's the same thing as stealing. You're stealing into maybe someone that does not belong to you. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. Don't take what does not belong to you. It's fornication. If you're unmarried, it's adultery if you're married. We're exhorted as men not to forget the wife of our youth. That is the most loving thing you can do. Avoid that sexual sin. That what makes sexual sin so difficult is because not only is it a sin of the flesh, but it's also a sin of the spirit. And those types of sin do the most damage to the psyche and to the soul. Sin, all sin is destructive and sin is damaging. But when you have a sin of the spirit and the sin of the flesh together in one act, it is much more severe. That's why immorality is like jumping off a cliff. It, you descend quickly into corruption and, and blindness. It's just better, as Solomon says, don't arouse those things before the... Special time comes. That's a really rough paraphrase. Verse 5, he says, Let your con. See these little nuggets. I mean, these are nuggets. They're power packed exhortations. Verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, isn't that why we want? Well, I need to, I need to stir up a bunch because you don't really know what's going to be happening here in the near future. We, you know, they, this whole thing could come down, and then what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? You know, remember the Y two K scare? You know, I've got a family of seven. I'm taking care of at the time. 
Who's telling the truth? I don't know. Okay, well, we'll see. what if I'll have to just prepare like it's a big storm coming and it's going to take us out for, a, you know, a month. And whatever I buy, I'll just pre-buy it and I'll, you know, use some sense. I'm not saying we should not prepare. Joseph laid up for seven years because God showed him what was coming. So there's that principle. But you don't have to overdo it. That's covetousness. And if you're being motivated by fear, that's probably not a good motivation. You do it because you feel like, this is what I feel like I should do. And sometimes it's kind of like going on a mission trip years ago. I was going to Central America. It was the first trip I went on, and, and the guy was leading it and uh, got me hooked on this. He says, uh, well, just pray about whatever you're supposed to take, you know, besides the clothes and other things that we we're donating. Okay. So I was living in Charleston at the time, and I took a, a shrimp net, a really nice one. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, and you, you wanted something that you could pack easily. And so it fit both. It fit. It was like, I kind of scratched my head a little bit. Oh, well, I have no idea where I'm going. We happened to go to the west side of Nicaragua, close to the Pacific, not too far away, a little place called Los Pleones, out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And so the serious language barrier, I don't speak the language. And so I break this thing out, and I really don't know where I'm at geographically, how close we are really to the ocean. There's inlets and stuff, apparently. So I'm talking to, I think it's the deacons and some of the leaders, and I'm giving it to one of them. And so I break it out, and I'd been down there long enough that I learned how to throw you know, throw the net, put it in my mouth, and get it set up, and then, whew, perfect 360, right? Well, mine wasn't a perfect 360, and, and they're all going, they're all nodding, they're nodding their heads, like. <laughs> so I hand, <laughs> just handed to him, and the guy goes, Perfect. Like, why don't you show me how to do that? You know. <laughs> but I, you know, it's like this is the thing. You you never know what you're gonna need when you're gonna need it. So when it comes to preparing for the future and being concerned about what could happen, that's why prayer is so important. Just trust God to give you what you're supposed to have. You know, covetousness is usually what well, can be it's, it can be motivated by greed, right? Greed, rather. Um, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. We know that. You know, money gives us the ability to, to fulfill our, our lust for things. But what does the Bible say that covetousness really is? It's, it's, it's idolatry. So it's, I start putting stuff in front of my relationship with God. And so, you know, if you, it's okay to, to work hard and prosper. God, that God blesses that. He blesses the proud doer. You're doing your work as unto the Lord, and he blesses that. He wants you to, to do the best you can with what you've been given. And if you uh, become wealthy, I mean, think about the guys. You know, Abraham was extremely rich. Isaac was even richer. I mean, you read the story about Isaac. This is, okay, in the middle of a famine, he sowed and reaped a hundredfold. And he dug wells, and they stole the wells from him. Well, I'll just go dig another one. And they stole that one, and he dug another one, and they stole that one. Finally got to a point where they stopped stealing from him. They were jealous of him. See, God is able to make you prosper. It's amazing. But, you know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, I want more. 
He already had, I mean, dad left him quite a bit probably. And he just kept getting, and Jacob, look what happened to, you know. So God blesses people. But usually when you're, if you're, if your relationship with God is right, making money and being wealthy is probably the last thing on your mind. And he, if, and I found this, we read this the other day, you know, Men will get you know if you give it shall be given to the degree you give it'll be measured back to you again if you got a if you're a giver you're gonna expect it i mean God's not mocked you always think about seeds you give you plant one seed what do you get back? you get a whole corn full of seeds right a whole earful so you, if you sow and you reap you're going to always reap more than you sow and that's the principle it's true in the spiritual realm but you're not doing it because you're greedy you're doing it because well sometimes it's just the right thing to do you know you open your heart and give honest hard work will always be blessed by God and he wants us to be content and this is what what does Paul say in Philippians 4 11 through 13 He's, whatever state he's in, he's, he's learned to be content. So contentment is learned. And, and if you, once you learn that, then covetousness, it's been reined in and you're in control. And that's where God wants us. He says, I've learned to be full. I've learned in, to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? You know, we're, we're going to be, if the Lord wills, and we need to pray about this tonight, if we make the, we're supposed to close in the building a week from today, right? And if everything goes well, that, that, that should happen. And we can get really weird with this building. We've got people that are praying that, that it doesn't become an idol. That's a good thing. It, it is what it is. It's a tool. Let's keep right perspective on it. There's a, I can, Probably the list gets keeps every time I go out there. The list gets a little bit bigger on things that need to happen. But we're not. You know what? It's not our building. Whose building is that? It's God's. Whose property is that? We're just going to be the stewards. Lord, we think this needs to be taken care of. Well, we're not going to get ourselves in debt. We're just going to take care of as we can, and we're going to try to maintain that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd like to pay that building off. A week from tomorrow, <laughs> right? I don't like that, and I I, I want to I want the church to be free, so that the monies that do come in, we can really use it to to reach people, disciples, etc. So, and that's why he goes into the next thing here, <laughs> um, verse seven, prayer. Remember spiritual leaders. <laughs> Remember those who have rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. You know, he actually practiced this, preached this to Timothy. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Continue in them. And doing this, you'll save yourself and others who hear you. So, this is the idea of, of keeping people in prayer. <laughs> your teachers are your examples. It's that it's 
It, over there? It's over there. I think we hit a button here. <laughs> I guess so. Somebody's far. <laughs> so there's two things he tells, and I'll close with this, two things he tells us to do. Remember the prisoners and remember those in spiritual, and a lot of those prisoners probably in context here were spiritual leaders that were getting locked up for preaching the gospel. I don't know that for sure, but I think there's a connection there. So, you know, how important it is for us to pray. We'll pick this up and finish up the chapter next week. And uh, that's a good place to to start with Jesus next week. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. These are strong exhortations by the writer here, Lord, to he knows where we live. He knows how easy it is for us to be unloving, covetous, forgetful, weird. (laughs) It's so easy for us to get in the flesh, Lord. We just want to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and, and, and walk in that love. There's nothing more beautiful. Kathy was talking about the the liquid love that flows from your heart to ours, Lord. Just just fill our hearts with that love for strangers, for the down and out, the people that really need you, Lord. Help us, anoint us for that. So, fathers, we take this time to pray. We pray you'd guide us in our prayers. Lord, we also want to just take this moment to pray for the closing and ask, Lord, that you'd go before that and that you take care of all the hiccups along the way, and you would cover all the all the details of it, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen.